Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. We are a church family that God is building to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the heart of Loudoun County and all around the world. As followers of the way, our mission always has been and always will be to make disciples of Jesus Christ, which means we help people take the next step toward knowing, loving, and following Him better. In this sermon, Pastor Mark addresses the following part, doing something about what we believe. We're talking about the invitation to follow, the cost of following, and guidance for following Christ. Well, happy Mother's Day. I add to the... uh chorus of people saying that, but moms, you are the unsung heroes in society and culture, and we are grateful for you, for all that you have done and all that you will do. Now, many of you, I suspect, have been to weddings, and, you know, the theory in a wedding is that the bride and groom are supposed to be the ones that everyone is paying attention on, but you can't help but notice in many wedding services, it's the ring bearer that steals the attention. I mean, there's just something about, you know, little boys, they say, are, are made out of what? Rats and snails and puppy dog tails and so on. And to see a little boy kind of uh, scrubbed up nicely in a little suit, kind of beaming with pride, walking down the aisle, holding the ring. Both my guys have been ring bearers at one point or another in their lives. And I'm always stunned to see how well-behaved and disciplined they are marching up that aisle with the ring because they know they have a very important mission. They know that their reason for existence that day is to get the ring from the back of the church to the front of the church and to be able to give it to the couple so they can get married. Ring bearers take their job very seriously. It's amazing. You know, you can take a little boy and when he realizes what he's doing, this is the real deal. He's focused in like a laser and he is gonna do the mission that he is supposed to do. All of us can learn from ring bearers because Jesus gave us one mission. He gave us one job. He said, go and make disciples. And our mission at City View is the same that Jesus had. Make disciples. And so we are just continuing the mission that Jesus gave to his followers 2,000 years ago. Now, to, be a, to make disciples, you need to be a disciple. So it's important we understand what is a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone on a journey towards Christian maturity. A disciple is someone who, as they go through life, are constantly taking the next step towards knowing loving and following Jesus Christ more deeply. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ involves your head, your heart, and your hands. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, how being a disciple of Jesus Christ is what we know. It involves our head. We have to know things about Christ. We have to know what he is like. We have to know what he is to obey. And we, we find that in Scripture. But, you know, there's much more to the Christian life than just accumulating knowledge and being able to say, I know all kinds of things because that knowledge needs to impact our heart and transform our heart so that our hearts are set towards Christ. 
But then after that, it needs to filter out to our hands and our feet. We need to follow Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Christ? Because we are all called as disciples of Jesus Christ to follow him. Following literally just means to journey behind. To tag along behind someone. I think you'll see as you read through the gospel accounts so that there's something a little deeper involved. It means not only to walk behind, but it means to imitate. When Jesus goes to the right, you go to the right. When Jesus goes to the left, you go to the left. We imitate Christ. We obey him. That is following Christ. So in short, following Christ means acting in obedience to what we know and trusting him for the results. You see, we'll act on what we believe. The rest is just religious chatter. We'll act on what we believe. The rest is just religious talk. So today, when we talk about following Christ, we're going to talk about the invitation, the cost, and then our guide along the journey. In the passage that Jehan read earlier this morning, you can turn there if you like, it's in Mark chapter 1. And it's kind of the launch of Jesus' public ministry. Now I want you to imagine the setting that's going on there. In that time, we know historically, there were all kinds of people saying, I'm the one, follow me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the hero. There were many speakers trying to get people's attention. There was something about that time period in history. But Jesus stood out over all of them. And I love the casualness in a way that this account starts in Mark chapter 14. John the Baptist, who was the precursor to Jesus, has been arrested. One of his followers was Andrew, who was the brother of Peter. And Andrew and Peter were fishermen. Standing by the side of the, uh, of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus walks by. And read the account. Jesus says, it's time. Get ready. Follow me. The kingdom of God is here. Follow me. And they responded. It says they left their nets immediately and went after Jesus. Follow requires you to get up. These guys could have stayed around by their nets saying, hey, that's great. Can you just speak there and, and, and we'll take it all in? Jesus, the first thing he said was, come follow me. And I don't know how much they knew about Jesus at that time. You know, so often we want to say, well, 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 I need to do all my research first. But the way the account is written, I don't get the drift that Andrew or Simon Peter did a whole lot of research on who Jesus is. Andrew might have known, hey, this is the guy that John the Baptist was talking about. But they just, there's no way they could have done all the research. Google wasn't around. They couldn't have Googled in Jesus real quickly to find out what he was about. But there was something about Jesus. And they said, we'll get up and we'll go. Following requires us to act on what we believe. Following Jesus requires us to say it's more than accumulating knowledge about him. 
And remember, I am not pitting following against knowing. It's both and. We're to know Christ, we're to know about him, and we are to do something about it. Now, believing and following are intertwined. What you do shows what you believe. Our belief should produce action. It only makes sense. When you say, I believe Jesus died in my place and he rose again, there's much more to that than a ticket to heaven. The God of the universe, who is too big to fit in a temple, says, I will dwell in you through my Holy Spirit. How could that not change us? He says he's going to rearrange the furniture in our hearts. So belief should result in action. Following Christ shows that our heart has been transformed by him. And we're going to do what he says. It's not good enough for us to say, I believe, and then do nothing. Because if we say we believe, but then do nothing, do you really believe it? Now again, I want to be crystal clear that belief proceeds doing anything. We are saved. We are made right with God through faith alone in Christ. But the reality is, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. Because when you realize what God has done for us, how can that not warm your heart? How can that not change your heart? How can that not get us up and going? One of Jesus' earthly brothers, James, mocked Jesus during his public ministry. The other brothers, they really wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus, in their eyes, he was just some weird religious speaker. But then Jesus went to the cross, and he rose again. And we know that his brothers, who had mocked him, turned around. James was one of them. And James had mocked Jesus. James wrote one of the books in the Bible. It's five chapters towards the end of the Bible, the book of James. And chapter 2 focuses on this whole idea of, if you believe... You're going to do something about it. Saying you believe and not doing anything really calls into doubt this whole idea that you've believed. In chapter 2, verse 20, we see that faith apart from works is useless. Two verses later, it says that our faith is confirmed by our works. So again, our works don't make us right with God. But once we're made right with God, he transforms our hearts and we naturally should want to serve him and do what he says and look like followers of Jesus Christ. So please understand, I am not in any way, shape, or form saying work to be made right with God. There's nothing we can do. But I am saying that once we're made right with God, he is going to indwell us and change us from the inside out. There should be evidence of that. You act on what you believe. The rest is religious chatter. Simon Peter and Andrew got up and followed Jesus. They didn't know everything about him. They hadn't thoroughly researched him. But they did see that there was something different, something special about him. And it's important that we see Jesus in his greatness. Because along the journey, there is going to be hardship. You know, as Jesus' popularity increased, more and more people, it kind of only makes sense, were saying, yeah, I want to follow after this guy. 
Because Jesus' teaching was like none of the other religious teachers, and he was doing crazy miracles. So who wouldn't want to follow? And all of a sudden, it almost became like a religious freak show. And so this group of people were beginning, you know, the crowds were coming around Jesus, but it's more for what can they get from him? And Jesus had to reorient the followers. When he was walking towards Jerusalem, knowing that the cross was imminent, in Mark chapter 8, you can just move ahead a few chapters, and Jesus says, guys, let me tell you what following me is really about. And these are hard verses. It's very easy to try to soft shoe around these, but they're hard verses. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, calling the crowd to be with him, and his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Now, I would suggest that if Jesus presented this as a paper in a marketing class, he would have failed. This is not a way to get people excited about, yeah, I want to follow you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That goes against the grain of human nature. I want to look out for myself. I want to be comfortable. But you're telling me that I should deny myself, be willing to take up my cross, and follow Jesus into the great unknown. That doesn't give me a whole lot of security and confidence. And I don't think today we really grasp the importance of take up our cross. Because we've sanitized the cross. The cross in our minds is almost a piece of jewelry. Or even we think of the one when it was on, on the hill of Calvary. It was nice, smooth wood. It was nothing like that. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Denying ourselves means we say, Lord, what you want is my priority. What is your priority becomes the most important thing for me. What is your priority is how I will order my life. Take up our cross. Die to self. Be willing to suffer for Christ. The cross in the first century, was the most brutal form of execution that the Roman government would give. It was intended to erase a person from history. In general, Jesus was an exception, but in general, victims of crucifixion were thrown into unmarked graves to be forgotten about. It was brutal. It was humiliating. It was the worst thing that could happen to a person. And I would imagine... That there were people in the crowds when Jesus said, deny yourself. Someone said, ah, that didn't sound good, but keep going. Then we said, take up your cross. I imagine a lot of people walked then. Because that was offensive. That's not what nice religious people want to hear. But Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And I think it's significant that when this is recorded in Scripture, Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem where he knew that in a short while he was going to be crucified. 
guys, follow me. It might be uncomfortable where we're going. Follow me. You're not in control. Follow me. Jesus said some other very hard things about following him. He even, in in Luke chapter uh, 14, he says, you know, if you love your mother and father more than me, then, then you're not worthy of me. That's not a great Mother's Day message. But he said it. He said in Luke 14, verse 24, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are hard sayings. And some of it is hyperbole because we also know that Jesus said that we're to honor our parents. But the point is, be ready for hardship when you follow Christ. Following Jesus Christ is saying, Lord, I'm willing to suffer. Now, here's the thing. There's two sides to the coin in following Christ. And I find that in church circles, we emphasize one over the other. Different circles emphasize different ones. You've probably all heard people talk about how rotten and hard it is to follow Jesus, and there's truth to that. There is hard things. Suffering is involved. When we say, Lord, I'm following you, that means that what happened to Jesus can happen to us. But Jesus also said, the reward is greater than you can imagine. And so don't fixate on just one side of the coin. Don't fixate on the suffering and think, oh, I'm going to be miserable. For those of you who are going through suffering, for those of you who are worried about suffering, Jesus, who is faithful, has said, your reward is going to be greater than you can ever dream. And if you're here thinking, hey, I just asked Jesus to be my Savior and I'm looking forward to heaven, I would say you probably ought to look at the first side of the coin. One of the best ways I've heard it put about getting the balance between these things is imagine if you are trying to drive across Death Valley, which is probably not the most intelligent thing you can do, but let's just say you're driving across Death Valley and your car stalls out. You're out of gas and you're in the middle of Death Valley. What are you going to do? You stagger around for a while and you're going, it just seems like hours. And then you see on the horizon a little well house. You go, oh, yes. Oh, maybe it's a mirage. I don't know. And you crawl your way up there and you put your hand on it and say, this is real. It's a well. And right next to the well is a glass of water. And you're in Death Valley, you're dehydrated, you think you're going to die. And you reach out for the glass of water and then you notice there's the note beside it. And that note says, for an unlimited supply of water, pour the contents of this glass into the well to prime the pump. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust what's on the note? have unlimited water or are you going to want to cling to that glass and say bird in the hand is better than two in the bush you know for us trying to take care of our own lives and say I want to do my thing it's a lot like us saying I'll take my chances just drink the glass but when you give your life 
to Christ, say, I will follow you whatever the cost. That's pouring your glass into the pump. And it's priming the well. It's priming the pump. And you'll have unlimited supply. There is cost to following Christ. It's free to believe. There's a cost to following him. But the rewards are greater than anything that we will face. Unlimited supply. Following Christ can be hard. And that's why it's so important that we have the perfect guide with us. Once you turn to John's Gospel, Jesus is speaking here. And in chapter 10, he refers to himself in several different ways. One of which is he says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is the perfect shepherd. And he says this in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then verse 28 starts off, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall not perish. And no one will take them from my Father's hand. Jesus is the perfect shepherd. He is the perfect guide. And we need his guidance along the way. The good shepherd always looks out for his sheep. You know, I think there's a number of reasons God refers to us as sheep in the Bible, none of which are compliments, by the way. But I think it also tells us about how he leads. Because the way a shepherd leads his sheep is very different than what us city slickers, suburbanite city viewers would think. I've shared this before uh, a number of years ago. Many of my uh, older generation of my family were sheep farmers in Wales. Uh, Wales back in the, in the 50s and 60s made a big deal about how only 17 of their rural farms did not have electricity. Four of them belonged to my family. So that tells you the kind of family that I come from. My uh, great uncle passed away. I was probably 15, 16 at the time. And he was a great man of God. I know I'll see him again in heaven. But when he passed away, we happened to be over visiting family there. And so the estate asked if my brother and me and another cousin could go and herd the sheep. None of, none of us were country boys. None of us knew what we were doing. And so we got up to Uncle Hugh's farm um, and we saw the sheep. And I kid you not, the sheep were as close as I am to that back wall, to the pen they needed to get into to be auctioned off. This is going to be easy. So my brother and I um, and our, our cousin, we all kind of snuck around. And so we had the three of us kind of shooing them in. Cakewalk, we'll be done. And so we all kind of looked at each other, you know, treating this as a special ops, you know, operation here. And then at the signal, we started running and chasing after him and yelling, oh, go into the pen. And the sheep went every direction except the pen. We did it all wrong. Two old farmers, after a couple hours, and, and we went all over the farm trying to track these sheep down. Two older farmers heard of our plight, and they went there, and they went near the pen, and they just did this funky whistle that they do, and the sheep just trotted right in. The sheep knew who they were supposed to listen to. The shepherd led well. This shepherd didn't do a good job of it. 
God didn't stand behind us, kicking at us. He didn't drag us along. The great shepherd speaks to us. And we know him, because that involves we know about him through the scripture. We recognize him, and we follow him. And he gives us life. He gives us life abundantly. Doesn't mean that we'll avoid suffering in this world. Doesn't mean that we'll avoid hard times. But he will give us abundant life. Everlasting life. The thing is, whoever you follow, or whatever you follow, is in real practical terms, your God. When we say we're following Christ, that means we need to make him our priority. See, our priorities reflect who we worship or what we worship. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we want to follow him because what he gives is good and everlasting. You can chase after all the stuff that Northern Virginia has to offer. And this is Tinseltown. There's money, there's stuff, there's prestige, there, you name it. Everything the world says you need to be successful is here. But none of it will last. What will last are the things done for Christ. He gives real life. He will guide us to all that is good. So let's tie this together, following Christ. Following Christ means acting in obedience to what we know and trusting him for the results. Following him in obedience to what we know and trusting him for the results. All of us guys, we're like ring bearers. We got one job. Make disciples. Now that doesn't just mean that we go, okay, I'm going to sit down and make disciples because Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. Make disciples is a common responsibility that every believer in Jesus Christ has. And we do it in whatever we're doing. We're like ring bearers. We got one job. So how we order our life will reveal who or what we follow. And we can choose to follow Christ everywhere we go. You know, most of Christianity is lived outside of Sunday morning. Tomorrow morning, some of you will be going into offices. You'll be going to job sites. Some of you might be staying home with young children. How do you make disciples in that setting? Here's the thing, you can't give what you don't have. When your heart is full of Christ, he, it's going to be evident to everyone around you. I had the privilege when I was doing engineering, for some of that time I had a uh, Christian boss who was a very godly man. And it was evident to everyone in the office that he followed Christ. I've shared this illustration before, um, of an uh, engineering project I was working on. It was in China. And my boss, myself, and then a Christian lawyer who we were traveling with. And I know some people say Christian and lawyer, that's kind of an oxymoron, but this guy, great guy. 
we, were, uh, we had a technical challenge on a project. We were sitting with a table of Chinese engineers and we couldn't solve this for anything. And we were supposed to be the experts, so that was a very uncomfortable feeling. And the Christian lawyer said, guys, we've kind of reached our limits here. We've done some research. We're not quite sure what to do. We need to pray to our God, and then we'll come back to you later this afternoon. And I would like to say that I said, absolutely, we're going to pray, and God's going to help us figure this out. I was floored. I was like, how could you? What, what, you're putting God on the spot here. And we went back to the guest house that we were staying in, spread the plans out on the table, and we prayed over them. And within a half hour, the solution came. And we were able to go back to these guys, atheist engineers, and say, we don't quite understand how this all fell into place, but we prayed about it, and God made clear that this is what we ought to do. And then we checked it with technology, and this is what works. And they were amazed. Followed through on that, a year later, some of those engineers came on a delegation that my company had the privilege of escorting them on, and one of those guys, my understanding is a Christian now, a couple others are still investigating in series, but that's all because one guy just said, we need to pray. Maybe people in your office, your workplace are going through a hard times. Maybe they need you to just come alongside them and say, how can I pray for you? Show them you care. You know, as Christians... In our workplaces, we should be salt and light. You should make your workplace a better place. A rising tide lifts all boats. When you're sold out for Christ, it's going to rub off on those around you. So being a follower of Jesus Christ is not just something you do on Sunday morning. I think also in the home. Kids will see what parents' priorities are. And that makes parenting a very daunting thing. It's a holy responsibility to say, Lord, I have these little human beings around me that are going to be watching every move I make. And what I do that's normal, they will say, I guess that's what I ought to do because it's normal. And when a parent loves the Lord Jesus Christ and the kids see it, it's very easy for the kids to say, I want mom and dad's God to be my God. And that's the way we ought to be living. Kids are the greatest fake detectors on the planet. And so as parents, we want to say, Lord, I'll follow you with all that I am and trust you for the results. It's not even like you necessarily need to learn these Eight techniques of being a Christian parent. Because I think if a parent is following Christ and loves the Lord Jesus Christ, that love for Christ is going to spill over to the kids. The kids are going to see a transformed life. And it will be much easier for the kids to say, I want to follow my parents, God. You can't give what you don't have. So it's very important that each of us say, Lord, I'm following you. Our job as a church, at City View, God has brought us into this building. We just celebrated a year here. 
We celebrated a year as City View last week. And it was glorious seeing people get baptized. It was great having visitors here. And we want to get out into the community and let them know the love of Jesus Christ. Our job as a church is to give you the resources and the opportunities so that you can obey and display Christ. Obey Christ, we need to teach you what you need to know to obey and what you ought to be obeying. Displaying Christ, that's living with the character of Christ. We need to give you opportunities to display Christ in this community. That's why we've signed up to serve with a homeowners association in Ashburn, because we want to get into the community. Our society is getting more and more post-Christian, if you will. There's not a church culture anymore. And so we need to go out into the world around us. And the reason we go out to the world around us is to build bridges. And so we can invite people to believe in Jesus Christ and then to follow him. That's why we do what we do. We don't want to get caught up in a lot of church busy work. We want to think about everything we do. How will this help in the process of making disciples? And so what we're going to be doing at Ashburn Farms is that's a bridge to introduce us as a church family, but more importantly, to introduce Jesus Christ to people around us. Following Christ. It can be challenging. It can be scary. But we need to trust our guide. And we also need to remember the other side of the coin. The reward for following Christ is greater than we can imagine or dream. And it's worth investing in. All the stuff around us that this world has to offer is not going to last. But what is done for Christ will last. Following Christ is worth it all. I shared this before a number of years ago. Uh, uh, many, many years ago, I ran the Reston Triathlon, or I should say I limped through the Reston Triathlon. And at the very end, the last thing you do is you pull it, you, you, it's in the run, and you come in to South Lakes High School's football stadium, and you're just dying. But I saw my wife, and I saw a few friends, and they're cheering, and All of a sudden, I was able to pick my knees up, and I made it to the finish line. What we need to know is that we have friends, family, in the stands, in heaven, cheering us on. The Bible says this in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses are those who have gone ahead of us and are with Christ. All who have placed their faith in Christ through the centuries, they are sitting with Jesus And they're cheering us on. They're saying, it's worth it. Guys, I know you see all this stuff that's around you, and it may look good to you, but we're up in heaven, and we're seeing what this is like, and we're saying, it is worth it all to pursue Christ. So in light of this cloud of witnesses that we have, in light of heaven's reward, let us lay aside every weight and sin to which we cling to so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right here, you have Jesus denying himself, 
taking up his cross and following what his heavenly father told him to do. And it ended very well for him. He is seated at the right hand of God. Following Jesus, guys, it's worth it all. First thing I'll tell you is we all need to be right with God. And the way we're made right with God is by believing that Jesus died in our place and he rose again to pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay by ourselves. The Bible says when you believe that Jesus died for you and rose to offer you life, and you believe that, you've passed from death into life. Your family, you're right with God. But God didn't just save us to put us in heaven. He said, now I want you to follow me because I want you to tell others about me and introduce others to me. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We're ring bearers. God has called us to make disciples. Let's do this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the high calling you have given each and every one of us as Christians. Lord, I pray that we would take seriously the call to follow you. I pray that we would follow you at home. We would follow you in our workplaces. We follow you throughout the week. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to encourage one another along the journey. Help us to follow you well, confident that you are faithful to keep your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.